Hi everyone. As you can probably tell by the title, this is the second part of the Backer Yarian story. And you know how these things work. If you haven't listened to part one, I recommend that you go and check it out before listening to this. There's a lot of information and backstory in that episode. But at the same time, if you want to, and you've probably already made this decision, if you're doing it, you could just march boldly into this episode after listening to this short recap. The year is 1981, and John Backer is widely considered the best climber in the world. He has very strong ethics and perspectives on climbing, which I went into in detail in part one. After going to the international climbing meet in Germany during the spring and seeing the trend toward rap-bolted sport climbing, a style that he despised, he returned to Yosemite to make a statement and be the vanguard for the style of climbing that he believed in, a much more traditional style. Using a brand new method of drilling bolts while hanging from skyhooks and slings, delicately placed over the tiny crystals and knobs that Tuolumne Meadow is known for, he began putting up a bold new route, ground up and on site that followed a steep black streak on Medlicott Dome. When we left off, he was venturing up the sea of granite above him. He was finding crimps and knobs, leading him farther and farther from his last bolt that was more than 20 feet below him. Above him, he could see what was probably the crux. It was a sketchy lieback section, and he knew that if he fell, he'd be looking at at least a 50-foot whipper, likely landing on the slabs at the bottom of the pitch. Welcome to A Brief History of Climb. Once again, I'm James Howell, and this is the story of the backer Yerian. Today, I'm going to finish the story of the first ascent. I'll also share what the reaction of the climbing community was to this wild new route, and talk about some of the famous repeats. So, what happened next? Well, I told you in the last episode that Backer was going to take one of the biggest whippers of his career. And to be clear, that doesn't happen quite yet. In classic Backer fashion, and because of the constant mental and physical training that he was known for, he was able to steal his mind and fire through the crux of the first pitch. Just above that, he finds a ledge, and he drills a two-bolt anchor. The pitch that he just did was 100 feet of technical, crimpy, mid-511 climbing that he only put in two bolts. When Dave met him on the ledge, reminder, that's his partner, Dave Yerian, Dave says to him, you know, maybe you've had enough for one day. Backer agrees, and they pack it in for the day. Two days later, they were back on the wall. Backer led the first pitch without any falls, and he belayed Dave up to the ledge, that high point, and he set off climbing again. Now, I just want to remind everyone here that Backer has no idea if this vertical wall above him is going to go. He doesn't know what the gear will be, he doesn't know if he'll find a place that he can drill a bolt, or if he's just going to kind of run it out before taking a monster fall. And this time, the climbing was even harder. Dave, his partner below, after spending two days dreading this next pitch, he was becoming audibly freaked out below him, constantly asking if he was okay and how the route looked up there. 
Backer had to tell him to shut up and let him concentrate. In the first 50 feet of climbing of the second pitch, Backer had only managed to place two bolts. A little bit higher up, he was faced with a choice. He could tell that it was either left or right, and he chose to go left. At first, it seemed like it was the right choice, but once he was 20 feet above that spot, he came to a big crystal that had a crack right down the center of it. He could recognize that he was going to have to side pull on it in order to get past it. But as he's pulling off this side pull move and he's reaching up above, the crystal snaps. Before he knows what's happening, Backer has rotated 100 degrees and he is getting a perfect view of the meadow behind him while taking a massive fall. Dave caught his more than 50-foot whipper close to the belay ledge. When Backer got back to the ledge, it was the first time that Dave Yerian saw John Backer scared. John was pale and petrified. Here is a fascinating quote from Backer's amazing essay that he wrote about this climb, and it describes the exact moment with Dave on the ledge. Quote, I probably looked a little petrified. Up until then, the rock had seemed to part for me, allowing just enough holds and hooks. But right now, the rock appeared to be saying, dude, you just ain't going through. Most normal climbers, after taking one of the largest falls they've ever taken in their life, they would possibly take a break, pack it in for the day, try again in the future. But John Backer, he was not a normal climber. Instead, he calmed himself down and he climbed back up this run-out vertical wall. And when he got to that fork where he could go right or left, this time he decided to go right. Backer says that he was climbing like he was in a trance. He was seeing three or four moves ahead of him, and he makes it to the next ledge. The second pitch was complete. This one was 120 feet long, hard 5'11 climbing, and slightly overhanging. In total, the pitch had three bolts. Once again, a quote from Backer's essay. By the time I brought Dave up to the belay ledge, all we could do was look at each other, bewildered and mind-numbed, as if we'd suddenly landed on the moon. A few days later, they returned to finish the climb. It turns out that the two upper pitches, three and four, they were on easier terrain, minus a few scary spots. By the end of the climb, 400 feet long, including the anchors, Backer had placed only 13 bolts. And he said that when they walked off the top, it was like waking up from a dream in the afternoon. They felt amazed that they had done it. He made his statement. He put up a hard new free climb without breaking the ethics that he treasured so dearly. Well, let's just say that he did it without breaking those ethics too much, in his opinion. The Bakaryarian went down in history as a testament to boldness. Immediately, valley climbers could see that this route, with its long runouts on technical steep face climbing, was something way different than anything they had climbed before. Not only that, but it was done ground up and on site by the best and boldest rock climber in the world. It would take more than two years for the second ascent to take place, and much longer after that before its first on-site repeat. 
But before we jump into talking about the repeats, let's discuss the controversy with this route and how it impacted the future of climbing in Yosemite. So first off, I want to be clear. This route was truly seen by most climbers as an absolutely amazing achievement. It was something that only John Backer would be able to pull off. At the same time, some of those climbers saw this route with a small asterisk beside it because of the way that it was put up. And from what I can tell, the controversy really boils down to two main points that are entirely different in nature. The first one that I'm going to talk about is technical. The other one is very emotional. In the first episode, I mentioned that the ethic in Yosemite was that bolts were only to be placed ground up and from stances, meaning that you could take both hands off from the rock in order to hand drill a bolt. That basically means it needs to be on a ledge or something like that. Obviously, Backer did not follow that rule when putting up this route. He was hanging on skyhooks and slings in order to place bolts. Now, to accentuate how different this was from the norm, while in Europe, the spring before, putting up the Bakkerian, so that would be the spring of 1981, he ended up buying a new harness that included a totally new invention on harnesses to Backer and to people in Yosemite. Leg loops. Prior to this, climbers in the valley really only used swami belts as harnesses, which didn't include leg loops because you didn't really ever sit on the wall. There was no working roots or drilling from bolts, and most anchors were on ledges because you needed to have a ledge in order to drill them. So there wasn't really a need for leg loops. Apparently, Dave Yerian was perplexed when he first saw Backer sitting in his leg loops while drilling a bolt from a sling above him. So, drilling from slings instead of stances. Backer's view is that it was a compromise. It allowed him to put up the route in what he deemed to be good style, without resorting to the new technique of wrap bolting that other people were starting to use. Why does this matter? Well, there's a great essay that extensively discusses this. It was written in 1984 by climber Tom Higgins, and it's called Tricksters and Traditionalists. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. You can read it afterwards if you'd like. But basically, the gist of this essay is that tricksters are climbers who bend the rules and break traditions in order to move the sport forward, while traditionalists are climbers who stick to the old ways and wait until they are good enough to climb a route in that style. He sees the Bakuryarian as an impressive and difficult climb, and he says that he wishes all, in quotes, trickster routes were that hard and bold. But he says that often they weren't. And Backer putting up this route in this style, it opened the door for other less talented climbers to do the same thing with other routes were routes that potentially weren't as worthy as the backer Yarian. Higgins mentions that by 1984, throughout Tuolumne, there were a number of lesser routes put up using hooks, as well as some that were wrap-bolted. In an incredibly ironic way, backer doing this route in the, in, in the fashion that he did, 
it further legitimized a move toward more modern ways of developing roots, including bolting on rappel, which was exactly what Backer was trying not to do. But more so than anything, Higgins mentions that by bending the rules, it robbed a future generation of doing this route in the traditional style. Once those bolts are there, that opportunity is gone. And this is another thing that Backer was very opposed to. He wanted to preserve the pure style of climbing for future generations. And by Backer doing this route in the way that he did, it's understandable that there were people in the climbing community that called him a hypocrite. And this is kind of the more emotional side of this argument. Backer was often outspoken and in people's faces about what he believed was the right way to climb. It's almost as if he was saying to people, well, it's okay when I bend the rules. It's okay when I do it but I will police you and I will get in your face when you do it. So I have to say, I, I do think that it is somewhat understandable that many climbers did see this to be somewhat hypocritical, um, especially as he became more and more vocal throughout the 80s, uh, really going against the changes that were happening in the climbing world vis-a-vis -vis bolts and uh, sport climbing and hang dogging and things like that. But no matter what people's opinion on the route was, it immediately became a mega test piece, and it caught the attention of climbers around the world. Everyone was wondering who would get the second ascent of this bold masterpiece. Throughout the rest of 1981, many climbers ventured into Tuolumne Meadows to take a look at the route. An important thing to remember is that many of them, especially those who hadn't left the States before, they had never seen such a long, sustained face climb in their lives. To them, of course, it was only the abominable John Backer who would be able to pull something like that off. From the ground, it just looked completely impossible. And also quite dangerous. It wasn't until the following year that a strong team came to take the silver medal on this amazing route. It was 1982 at this point, and the German phenom Wolfgang Gullick made his first trip to America. Similar to John's trip to Germany the year before, Wolfgang was climbing absolutely everything that he touched in America. On that trip, he bagged second ascents of coveted American routes like Grand Illusion 13C, Equinox 12D, and Cosmic Debris 13A. It would only be a matter of time before Gullick would surpass Backer as the best climber in the world. In the mid-80s, he would go on to give the world the first 13D, 14A, and 14B in history. For Gullick, he felt confident that the Backer-Yarian, a bold yet comparably easier route, would be the cap on a successful climbing trip. However, that is not how things played out. When he got to the Bakaryarian, he managed to send the first pitch fairly easily, and nowadays that pitch is considered to have the technical crux of the route. But pitch two 
is considered to be the psychological crux. The climbing is still hard, and it's more bold and scary than on pitch one. High up on pitch two, Wolfgang was extremely run out and 25 or 30 feet above his last bolt, and he was approaching the third bolt of the pitch. Remember, there was only three bolts on this entire 120-foot pitch. It's at that time that he pulls on a crystal and it snaps. He fell the entire length of what he had climbed so far on that pitch, and he smashed into his belayer more than 60 feet below. This was a massive whipper. And actually, there's uh, some, I wouldn't necessarily say sources, but uh, videos and, and things that I've read that say that he broke his leg during that fall. Although, for the most part, I don't really see that being corroborated uh, anywhere. Um, so perhaps that's just a rumor. If someone does have you know a hard source for that, please let me know. Uh, but I don't think that he actually did break his leg. He just took a massive fall. And like most other humans would, and ultimately unlike Backer, who also took a massive fall on the second pitch, Wolfgang and his partner, they wrapped to the ground, and they never returned to the route. This only added to the belief that this route was truly only something that Backer could do, which is basically what everyone thought at the time. For everyone else, it was just too bold and too dangerous. But, of course, what one person can do, another person can do. One year later, in the summer of 1983, the second ascent would be done by Steve Schneider and Scott Fry. Steve, aka Shapoopy, a legendary yet sl slightly lesser known Yosemite climber, he led all of the pitches and it was a truly amazing achievement. Almost like he blew open the barn door, the following year saw three more ascents. Then, by 1985, there had been seven parties who had climbed it. Once it was proven that people who weren't backer could climb this thing and live to tell the tale, it became what it is still considered today, which is the most famous psychological test piece in the United States. The official grade for the route is 511CRX, although many argue that it is harder. I'd argue that it's just a fantastic piece of climbing history. And that's pretty much it for this episode. Though before I finish up, I wanted to quickly share how I learned about this route. Around 12 years ago or so, I watched a Black Diamond video with the late, great Hayden Kennedy sending this route while being belayed by Ivo Ninov. And even today, anytime I watch this route, or anytime I watch this video, I just get so psyched. I just think it's such an amazing, amazing video. It tells some history. It shows what the climb is like, including the wild runouts. It shares Hayden's experience and it also includes a super sick Wu-Tang soundtrack. So I'll link to it in the show notes, and I definitely highly recommend that you check it out. And for now, that is it. That is the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening, and I really appreciate everybody's support. 
if you would like to know anything more about these routes, check out my show notes. That's where I share the sources and uh, I link to some various things if you want to do some more investigating on these really cool pieces of climbing history. It won't be too long before the next episode comes out. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, that's it for A Brief History of Climb. Thanks. Bye-bye.